Today, uh, we're going to dive into back into this text in Luke in chapter 11. Uh, the full kind of teaching on prayer here is starting in verse 1, going through verse 13. So last week, we kind of did a part one, looking at the first four verses of this chapter, where Jesus basically spells out in some form what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And so this is Luke's telling of this story. And this answer that Jesus gives is in response to a question, uh, which Jesus was very good at, back and forth. And one of his disciples uh, gets up the courage to ask, after observing, of course, they all had that Jesus would go away and pray to his heavenly Father. And so one of the disciples just, you know, speaks up and says, Hey, uh, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Uh, kind of like John's disciples. You know, John taught his disciples how to pray, John the Baptist. And we'd kind of like to be known for the way that we pray, like those guys. We can always tell John's guys because they're always praying a certain way. So, you know, can you give us a prayer that would help us and can you teach us to pray? And so Jesus gives them kind of a, yeah, sure, I'll teach you how to pray. Here's the prayer for you. And it was implied that it would be something we would repeat. And so we've done that for all these couple of thousand years that we've been the church. And God's people have prayed this prayer. It's made us very distinctive in the world as Christians and how we pray. Nobody else prays regularly like we do. Heavenly Father or our Father it sets us really apart in the world of people who pray to gods. Uh, the way we address the one true God is by calling him our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus gives not only this answer and saying, here's what you pray, but I think the last bit of the text that Amberly read for us is Jesus saying, and now here's why you pray. And so that's what we're going to look at today, why we pray. And to answer that part of the question, Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable, uh, a riddle, and as he so often does, and it's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture, one of my favorite parables of Jesus. And I want you to just picture the scene with me, okay? You, you've got it, you've heard it, but just visualize what this is like, okay? This is meant to be understood. This is a, this is a one-room peasant home in a community where hospitality rules govern the day and people live in pretty close proximity. And so when it comes time for you to go to bed with your family, you lay down on a mat on the floor with all your family. <laughs> so imagine all of the hilarious things that go with that. But you're bedded down there with your family, and you know the drill. You finally get your kids to sleep. You've read them the goodnight story like 14 times. You've sung the songs. You've done the things. One more time, go to the bathroom. One more drink of water. All those things. And now you're bedded down on the floor, and everybody's in their cozy little place. And then you hear somebody knocking on the door. And you're like, I don't know who that is, but if they don't quit knocking on my door, there's going to be a murder on my front porch. Because if they wake this baby up, if they wake these kids up, it's not going to be pretty. And then the story goes, it's a friend. And the word friend occurs four times in this story. And so he's, he's playing on this sense of, okay, well, this is your friend. He's banging on the door and he says, look, I've got to host some people. I can't go to Walmart. I can't go to the grocery store. I can't go to Mrs. Baird's, you know, outlet trailer. I've got to get, and I've got to have some bread to make the meal. Uh, and I need three loaves. So can you help me out? And he's banging on the door and, you know, and the guy just won't stop knocking. And Jesus in telling the story says, even if you don't get up and answer the door because the guy's your friend, at least you will finally get up because of his impudence, because of his impertinence, because of his persistence. You will finally get up and say, okay, enough. 
anything's better than listening to you bang on my door all night. What do you want? You know, you're finally going to get up. And so you can feel the release of the story of just like, okay, fine. What's the point? Everybody's up now. What do you need, neighbor? Glad that you're here. And he answers the door. Um, we know something about impudence, uh, impertinence, persistence. That can be a really good quality in life. Um, I don't know how many of you over the last couple of weeks may have had somebody stop by your house as a representative, a salesperson from Southwestern Books. Anybody seen the Southwestern Books people? Uh, great. They, they employ like college age students. They go all over the United States and, they, and probably all over the world for all I know. And they sell books. And very often the people that come to our doors here are people from other countries. And so I, I love Southwestern Books. I think they're great products and all that stuff. Um, but I feel the same way about door-to-door salesmen as all of you do. And so um, my brother actually, one of my younger brothers, sold Southwestern Books one year. And so I kind of learned a little more about them and all that stuff. But anyways, uh, I get home one day and I'm working in the garage. And it's kind of getting a little later on in the afternoon. And this strikingly handsome young man blonde hair. I mean, looks like he walked right out of the movies. He's tan. He just walks up, this big smile on his face, and he says, hello. And I was like, well, hello, hello yourself. <laughs> and, and he says, you must be the um, the father of the house and, and that I've heard about or something like that. I'm like, what have the people of this house been telling you? <laughs> how, how many times have you been to my house before and I haven't seen you? I'm just now meeting you and it's nice to meet you. And then, of course, I figure out He's with Southwestern Books. He's from Estonia. Other people in my household thought he was fairly handsome, too. So there was a little fluttering going on uh, after the report, you know. And um, so this guy, he gives me the whole spiel, you know, and he says, um, okay, well, uh, since, you know, you and it's basically like the guilt trip, like you want your kids to be able to read and survive in the world. Do you love your children? then surely you'll want to buy these books. And I'm kind of like, no, man, it's not a good time. You know, I'm busy and da-da-da. He's like, well, perhaps tomorrow will be a good time. I'm like, yeah, sure. I knew I was going to be gone tomorrow. You know, yeah, come back tomorrow, please. Well, he he catches me again like two days later, and he's like, hey, I just wonder if you've been thinking about the stuff. And I've been like, I've been thinking about how you bothered me again. You know, and so we go through the whole thing. But the guy won't let up, and he just keeps going with the you know thing about now you know the world's changing, and uh, you may want your kids to have these products. Your six-year-old surely needs to be getting ready for college, and da 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 da, all the stuff. And I'm like, dude. And so I'm like about to buy the stuff, and finally I was like, I got it. I can't make this decision without my wife. And he goes, he goes, what well, can you call your wife right now? And I said, well, technically I could, but I'm not going to. What well, can you just? I'll stay here until it's a good time. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. And so anyways, finally we, we part ways and, and the guy's probably on his way back to Estonia. But anyways, he is the definition. When I read this text, I'm like, that's that guy. He is Mr. Impudence. He's Mr. Persistent because it's his job and he was good at it. So anyways, persistence is a good quality. So as we ask ourselves the question, like what is Jesus trying to tell us about why we pray? Here's one possible interpretation, okay? Here's one possible lesson, and you'll see this, and you'll hear it preached, and it's a good lesson. Here's a good lesson, a possibility, interpretation of this story. Be persistent in prayer, all right? Be persistent in prayer. Sounds like a good lesson for kids, good lesson for all of us, right? Be persistent in prayer. Keep asking, Jesus said. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. I kind of took the old phrase, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, which is what I'm sure people used to tell me. And I was thinking, you know, if we were to turn this around for this this interpretation of the story for prayer, we'd say when the praying gets tough, the tough keep praying, you know, the tough get praying. It's like get after it, stay after it, be persistent, 
don't give up. You will finally win God over. <laughs> He'll finally get up out of bed if you just keep banging on the door. Right? That's one lesson, possibility. Persistence is a good quality and a good quality in prayer. But let's explore another possible interpretation. Possibility number two, it is important to pray for what you want. Okay, it's a good lesson. It's true. It's important to pray for what you want. We see it in the text. It's sort of like seeing, okay, Jesus promised that if we ask for it, we will receive it. So who are we to argue with the promises of God? Let's, let's do it. If we ask for what we want, right? Let's do it. Now, a character of this, a bad character of this would be like the word of faith movement. Uh, prosperity gospel, you know, basically just like whatever you it is that you want, whatever you can dream up, you ask God for it. Because God said if you ask Him for it, He'll give it to you. And any kind of prayer for any kind of healing or any kind of thing that you want or job or whatever else, you pray for it and God's going to give it to you because He promises right here that He's going to give it to you. He's going to bless you if X, Y, Z. And so then when those things don't happen and we don't get the job or the person we've been praying for doesn't get better or whatever's going on, we just go, well, gosh, this isn't working. There must be something wrong with me. It's a problem with my faith. I wasn't praying hard enough. I wasn't praying the right way, right? And so that's, again, that's the bad character. I know that we don't see that as much, but it's out there. Uh, and we tend to feel guilty or feel that way. A more modest way of looking at it for me as far as asking for something that we want, uh, I'll borrow a lyric from you too. And one of my favorite songs, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? The human search for like who we are, why we're here, the deep longings within us, why are they there? And we can say that together, like, I just, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We get it. And so we, it's important to bring our longings to God. The psalmist tells us, right? Like the, God's going to give you the desires of your heart, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, all that stuff. So it's good. Uh, and so I was thinking about doing that. So it is important and a good lesson to ask God for what you want. Okay, but another possibility. And just really quickly, what are the pitfalls or possible pitfalls of, of one and two, if lessons, interpretations one and two? At least one of the pitfalls for one and two is that it turns prayer into technology, something that we use to get something we need, something we want. It's something we put to use. So pitfalls of interpretation one and two is we devolve into a technology of prayer. I do X, you do Y, we all do Z, and everything works out perfectly in the algebra equation that's prayer, and it all is perfect. God will be magically called into action because we did all the steps right. Uh, yesterday I was uh, on tech support with Apple Care and going through the reason as to why my phone isn't working properly. And so, you know, this is a technology call, which I'm very bad at. And so first you have to go through the proper steps to get to the right person, right? So press one if this is what you're interested in. Okay, boom, that's step one. I got it right. I didn't drop the call. It's still there. Step two, can you tell us a little bit more about why you're calling? It's like the voice prompt. And I'm always terrible at it. Uh, uh, I can't. Sorry, sir. We can't understand you. That's because I don't know what I need. My phone's broken. You know, so we get to, that's step two. Then step three, if you get to step three, it's you're going to be on hold a while. Would you like to listen to modern pop music? Would you like to listen to classical music? Would you like to wait in silence? And I'm like, where's the silence button? You know, find the button. And so I go through all the steps. And if I got it all right and I let them remote in and fix my phone and everything's perfect, after the call, it's fixed, right? And everything's good. And so I've done it right. They've done their part. And it, it's magic. It works. And sometimes, sometimes that's what prayer 
devolves into for us. So it is good to pray for what we want, and it persistence in prayer is a good quality. But let's explore another interpretive option for what the parable is saying to us, what Jesus is saying to us in the parable. I want you to imagine yourself presented with a request from someone in this world that you love with all your heart. It could be a child, a grandchild. It could be a friend, a golfing buddy. It could be somebody, just somebody that you love with all your heart, and they've presented you with a request. It could be as simple as, can you bring me lunch? Or let's go hang out. Or I need new shoes for school. Or can you help me with my homework? And pay attention to how we feel. You can feel that, right? How, like our impulse, that person we love, like, yeah, of course, I'll do it. The answer is yes. And so Jesus plays on this too. And he says, imagine, you know, if you're a father and your son asks you for a fish, are you going to give him a snake? I mean, I know we live in Sweetwater, but uh, hey, I'd like some food. Yeah, sure. Here's a snake that could kill you. Have fun. Or if your son in the story asks for an egg, more food, would you give him a scorpion? Is that how you would respond to that? Your kid asks for a cheeseburger. Would you like take cheeseburger wrapping and wrap up a scorpion and hand it to him? Of course you're not going to do that. You're not going to harm your kid. You're going to want to say, yeah, I'd love to provide you with food. That's part of my job as a parent. Here's some food. We drop everything when our people are in need. Why we do it all the time. And what Jesus pulls out of the story is if that's the case with you, and he uses this word, if if that's the case with you and you are evil, and Jesus is not like beating us up or telling y'all are horrible people. He's just saying you're imperfect people, right? Evil manifests in many ways. I mean, the classical definition of evil is a deprivation of the good. Me depriving you of a good that I have to offer is me presenting evil in your midst. It doesn't have to be like where I give you a death threat or something. It can just be I can have a good that you need and I can withhold that from you, and that's a form of evil. So Jesus is saying, like, you're not perfect, and you're going to miss it sometimes, but if you are going to respond to a need that way, and you're evil, and then he, then he turns, and he introduces this other option. And I think this is the mountaintop of the parable. This is the part where we, we come up in the clearing, and we see it all, and we go, oh, that's what the story's about. If y'all earthly fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and here's the kicker, how much more? How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a story about the how much more of God. The third interpretive option is us coming to terms with the logic of how much more when we see God. It is in this parable that Jesus speaks to us about the character of God. You disciples, my beloved disciples, you want me to teach you to pray? I can do that. You want to know why I pray? I'll tell you. Of course, I'll show you the ropes. I'll show you the basics. Here's this prayer that you know is the Lord's Prayer. But you have to know why I pray or you're going to stop pretty quick. You want to know why I go spend time with my Heavenly Father, why I sneak away early in the mornings and you can't find me sometimes at night and I'm off praying? 
It's because this is who my Father is. And this is the same God that you pray to. Prayer, Christian prayer, at least, in all of its forms, depends on a proper vision of the God to whom we pray. That's what all prayer depends on. How much more will God? And it ends with this emphatic, it's an exclamation mark. It's not a question. We're meant to be like, oh yeah. We who readily meet needs for the people that we love, and we who are evil, imperfect, etc., in God, we look at Him. And we sang this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. But this is the God. There's no, there's no shadows. There's no deception. There's no missing the boat. God's always zeroed in. So we pray because where our desire meets the sheer gift of generosity of God, we receive the greatest gift. And we're surprised by this gift. And it is a gift that in many cases we did not know that we had. It's like a gift that someone placed in our coat pocket, our shirt pocket. Now my kids make fun of me because I still use a shirt pocket. But it's like we had a, a gift in our pocket and, and somebody slipped it in there and we didn't know it was there. And that gift, Jesus tells us, is God's own Holy Spirit. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who pray, to those who ask. Who is the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit such a gift? We know uh, from saying the creed together that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is living and active. He is fully God, and we can know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the way that God is to us as, as near as our breath. The God who lives inside of us as we know it, the, that possibility. Obviously, Jesus in his body does not live inside my heart or your heart, but he does live within you and I. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, as Paul said in his letters. So, this is, this is what God is giving. And this is our surprise. How much more will God give? And we're thinking just whatever it is that God gives, the Holy Spirit to those who ask, who pray. Uh, in conclusion, uh, one of my favorite artists, uh, I can call him an artist, right? Is Garth Brooks an artist? Can we call is it? Does he fit that mold? Some of y'all may argue. I don't know. But when I was a, when I was a teenager, uh, I, I was singing Garth Brooks' uh, song. It was CDs at that time. I had the first one. I loved it. And, of course, he got really popular and was on tour and did all this crazy stuff later. But anyways, um, he had this great song called Unanswered Prayer. Y'all remember that song? And it's, it's probably one of the greatest pop explorations of the practice of prayer that, that we've had in music in, in the last however many years that's been. But it's a great line. It's, it's uh, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. And what he's trying to say is, you know, when I look back at my life and all the crazy things I prayed for, there's some of them I'm glad I didn't get. <laughs> he's, he's looking at his current life with his spouse and his family, and he's like, man, I'm, I'm glad I didn't get all that other stuff I prayed for that I really wanted back then. Uh, and so he, it's, it's a way of saying, it's, it's, a good, it's a great song about gratitude. And I like Garth. Remember I told you I like Garth. But what if this parable is teaching us that there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer? 
What if there is no prayer that you and I can offer that goes unanswered in that sense? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who pray? You and I, by opening our hearts, by opening our mouths with a whisper of a prayer directed in the direction of God, praying through Jesus, we are receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I miss it all the time. If we want to look back at our baptismal theology, we would say that anyone who's come through the waters of baptism has received the Holy Spirit. Even if you don't feel like you have, you've received that gift. Someone has prayed for you. And those God has given you that gift in the sacrament of baptism, and you have received the Holy Spirit. So, closing question and kind of a final invitation. What is it that comes between us and a vision of this God as we pray? This God, this how much more God. What is it that comes between me and that vision of God? And secondly, it's just a great reminder and invitation to pray to offer whatever it is that we can, whatever we can give and opening our mouths and our hearts and our lives in prayer and acknowledging that we are receiving the Holy Spirit. We train our eyes and our ears and our minds to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those around us in our own life, in our community, in our children. May we look for the Holy Spirit. May we learn to recognize Him. And what's crazy about this story is that if we get there and we get on the mountaintop with how much more, we can actually look back at interpretations one and two and they kind of work now. With a proper vision of God, with a different posture, with different motives and different expectations, now we can be persistent. Now we can ask and seek and knock and we can get after it. And the door will be open for us. The different posture, different motives, and expectations. How much more? Amen.